0: anywhere from about 15 to 25. So that's a a big change. But there it is is difficult to reach the minds and hearts of of people with the gospel. It ought not to be, but it seems that that is the case uh, throughout the world. But thank you for inviting me to come. And I'm pretty well known as Eric's dad. So uh, it used to be, you know, that uh, well, that's Cliff's son. But he travels so much and, and works at Apologetics Press there in uh, Montgomery. And so uh, I appreciate all that, uh, that he does. <clears throat> now you might wonder what that glove is doing up here. But I'll try to, maybe I'll just go ahead and show you that because I'm liable to forget it if I don't. But in Russia, it is cold, but that's not why I've got this glove. But we're going to talk about tonight whether or not the Bible fits man. Uh, I preached a sermon on a lectureship in Muskogee, Oklahoma, years ago along this line. And God made man, and God gave us the Bible. And the question is tonight, does the Bible fit man? Well, this glove, you know, it it fits my hand. Now, of course, man made this glove. God God made the Bible. God gave us the Bible, so we know it fits. If if man can make something like this that fits, then we know that the Bible fits, but we're going to study uh, that tonight. I like to use the design argument when discussing matters about giving evidence uh, for the existence of God and evidence for the Bible being the Word of God and things like that. We don't get design without a designer. This world has design. I know the atheist and the evolutionist and others, they want to think that things just happened. There was a big bang, and here we are. Uh, Maybe not exactly like that, but they want to think of things just happening. But you don't get design without a designer. The clothing you're wearing this evening was designed. Uh, The tie that I'm wearing here, it was designed. It didn't happen by accident. These pews, as they're lined up, were designed this way. This building was designed. So that is obvious to us. But it is amazing that so many people are not willing to consider the design argument or the law of biogenesis in reference to the existence of God and where life came from and things like that. I don't know how many of you might have flown on a 747, but it's a big plane. And the old B-52 is a big old plane. For a few years, I worked for Boeing airplane company, and I know a little about how airplanes are put together. I have eaten my lunch in the cockpit of a B-52, and they're still flying those big old planes, incidentally, and using them. But picture a tornado coming through Nashville, and you had a big storm here not long ago, didn't you? And going through a junkyard, and... Then down at about a mile on down the road, there's a B-52 setting out there or a 747. Ah, you say, Cliff, that's silly. Well, what about the Bible? How did it get here? Well, God tells us how it got here. From Moses on down to the Apostle John, he tells us how we got the Bible and we need to appreciate that. So a storm does not build a 747. And man did not get here by chance. So we're going to ask, is this book, God's book, adapted to us uh, tonight as we study together? And so many are gone, but we've still got a big crowd, so I think I'm going to... uh, Give all the hay I've got tonight. I grew up on the farm, you know, and you go out and if you had a load of hay and you only had a half a dozen cows to come up, you didn't give, unload the whole load. But anyway, uh, this is a good crowd to me, and so I'm glad to be here this evening. The Bible is no accident. The world that God created is adapted to the nature of man. Consider, it. we have air to breathe food to eat, water to drink. So the natural world round about us is suited to this natural body. Now, did that just happen by accident? And then when we consider the evidence that is out there for the design argument, how did the sun get to be just the right distance from the earth? Or the earth the right distance from the sun? The moon. And how about all of the order that's on this earth? It did not happen by accident, and the Bible didn't. Is not the gospel of Christ then adapted to man? I believe that it is, and we're going to give evidence for that uh, this evening. Remember that God is not the author of confusion. And that's one thing I think that can encourage us in studying and reading the Bible in that we are reading God's book, not man's book. Man, by his wisdom, did not write this book. The Holy Spirit guided the men who wrote it. And it is God's word to us to guide us from this lowly earth to that heavenly home. So can the Bible, which God gave to man so carefully, we call it the inspired word of God, and the Bible tells us that is the case, Can it be understood and obeyed by man? Is the seed adapted to the soil? Think about the corn that's been planted. and You drive along the road, the highway, the interstate, and you see these big corn fields. The seed is adapted to the soil. And we believe the Bible is adapted to man. We believe the Bible accurately translated into any man's language can be understood by him without any direct illumination or guidance by the Holy Spirit that is some kind of a direct influence or guidance from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided the men who wrote the Bible. Did he not do a good enough job to start with? You know, we've got some brethren who think that that uh, there needs to be some kind of enlightenment as we study the Bible. Something separate and apart from the word of God. Paul said, all scripture is inspired of God, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may com- be complete, the American standard says. The may, man of God may be complete, furnished completely, unto every good work that says a lot for the bible doesn't it that's a great passage in psalm 119 105 it's a lamp it's a lamp unto our feet and light unto our pathway in ephesians 517 we find that we can understand the bible can we understand it well not if you leave it laying up on a shelf somewhere and never read it and never study it we need to study the bible Paul told Timothy, study, give diligence to show thyself approved unto God. So we need to study. David said in 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 2 that God's word was upon his tongue. The Holy Spirit guided David to teach and guided David to write the Psalms that he wrote. So God created the world and he created man. I sometimes use this illustration in Russia. I'll say, uh, this is the man that God created right there. Now, God knows all about that man. He knows how he made him. He knows how he thinks. He knows what he's able to do. And see, he knows that about me tonight. He knows it about you. Now, God made man, and then God gave his revelation. And, you know, if I had a small testament, it would work better. I had a little testament up here tonight. But then God gave the Bible. And we're going to see who God is here in just a moment. Could God do that? Did he do it? Would he do it? But he gave his word. Now, wouldn't God give a Bible that would fit this man? And I wrapped that New Testament around that pen. And yes, God would do that. That's not a very good illustration maybe, but it, it gets across the point. God can give us a revelation that we can understand. Think about this. God created the world and man many years ago, maybe a little over 6,000 years ago. But before the time of the New Testament, we have about 4,000 years. The first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Then we come down to verses 26 and 27 and we find that God said, let us make man. And there's where we learn that there's more than one person in the Godhead. You got the spirit mentioned what in verse two or three there. Let us, and we go to John, the book of John and we read about the Christ, the word that became flesh. So we've got three persons in the Godhead. Let us make man. And God did. He made man in his own image. So there's something about us that is special, more so than the old dog rover or some other animal. But I want you to think about this for a moment. So back there in the beginning, God made man. Man sinned. In Genesis 3.15, really, we have the first gospel sermon. Now, the word gospel, good news. Adam and Eve had sinned. There they were, lost and undone. But there's a ray of hope. There's some good news. God's going to send a Savior. He's going to have a a difficult time. He's going to be wounded. He's going to be crucified on that old rugged cross. And then as you go on down through the stream of time, God makes the promise to Abraham and to others. And finally... We find on that great day of Pentecost the gospel of Christ being preached and God's plan unfolded by which man can be saved from his sins. And the blood of Christ goes all the way back to the very beginning as well as down to you and me today. So the gospel of Christ is indeed a wonderful thing. Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Brethren, the message of the gospel is addressed to us by our creator. He created this world and he created us. And he gave us the Bible. Yes, in Ephesians five seventeen, we can understand it. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not they were being taught the truth. And you know when we have gospel meetings or when I'm preaching up here or anyone else you ought to search the scriptures and make sure that I'm telling you the truth. If I'm wrong, I want you to tell me I'm wrong. If I miss if I miss something. If I say something that's not true, I want to know. No wonder Paul wrote to Timothy in later years, preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. Paul said to the Corinthians, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul felt a big burden. We need to feel that burden today. Preachers, gospel preachers need to feel the urgency of preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ to our lost world. We need that. So our question is, does the gospel fit man? Is the Bible as it is, adapted to man as he is, Faithful brethren say yes. Sadly, some people say no. The atheist, the humanist, the evolutionist, they say no. The denominational world, by its teaching, denies that the Bible fits man. They won't come out and say those words like that, but they don't really think, you see, because of some of their teaching that this Bible fits man man, like I'm talking about this evening. This is especially true regarding the Calvinistic teaching that in conversion there must be a power, a direct working of the Holy Spirit, notice this, in addition to and distinct from the Word of God. That's where men often go wrong. They have the Holy Spirit doing something to them separate and apart from the Word of God. You know when Peter preached on Pentecost... Acts chapter 2, and the other apostles preached too. They had just been baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enabled them, gave them the power to speak in different languages, and inspired them to preach the truth as they preached. But there were about 3,000 who were baptized that day. How did they learn the truth? By hearing the gospel preached. There was no miraculous working upon their minds or upon something, uh, something happening separate and apart from the teaching that was taking place. Inspired men were preaching, yes. The Holy Spirit guided them to say what they said, just like the Bible is to guide me in what I say tonight. But as we think about this, I want you to notice this quotation. Brother N.B. Hardeman, this is an old sermon. You go back to the Tabernacle Sermons here in Nashville, and you'll find a sermon. I I couldn't find it before I, uh, as I was kind of preparing for this lesson. But uh, I've moved about a year ago, and some of my things, some of my books are still in boxes. But uh, he preached a sermon along this line. Brother Gus Nichols preached a sermon, uh, has a sermon in one of his books along this line. But I want you to notice this and Brother Hardiman debated a man by the name of Ben M. Bogard and I've got the debate book in the car. Ben M. Bogard was a Baptist preacher and he affirmed, and I'll quote this, the Bible teaches that in conviction and conversion the Holy Spirit exercises a power or influence in addition to the written or spoken word. Brother N.B. Hardeman, of course, denied that and uh, they had their debate. Consider, if the gospel is not adapted to man, why is it not? If it's not suited for us, why not? If it doesn't fit like that glove fits my hand, why not? God made man and God gave the plan. We need to know who God is. Since I've been going to Russia, I'm afraid, brethren, that sometimes we don't really know who God is to the depth that we ought to know it. God created this world. God sent those plagues down on Egypt like we read uh, that Moses recorded for us in the book of Exodus. He did that. And he's here today to guide us in our lives. He guides us through his word. Miracles have ceased. They don't, there are no miracles today like there were down in Egypt. And like the apostles uh, performed, they ceased. First Corinthians 13, Ephesians 4. So, if the gospel is not adapted to us, why not? Let me ask you, was it because God could not give us a gospel that would fit us? This position would reflect upon God's power, wouldn't it? Was it because God would not do it? I'm not going to give those people down there on earth a a Bible that they can understand. I'm not going to do it. Well, that would reflect upon God's goodness and love, wouldn't it? God gave us a book that we can understand. If man is unable to render obedience to the gospel until there is some supernatural or direct operation of the Holy Spirit, if, now notice I said if, then when God moves upon one person in this way and brings about his conversion, that is working separate and apart from the word, when he does it for one, he needs to do it for two. And then for all of the people in all the world. Why? Why? Because God is no respecter of persons. And if he works separate and apart from the word in a direct way for you and not for me, God is a respecter of persons. But that's not the God we read about in the Bible. So the the answer that we give to our question this evening is indeed a vital one, an important one. So as we study to answer this question, let us learn some things first about man and then some things about Uh, the Bible and the gospel. First, what is man? I sometimes raise three questions in teaching. Where did we come from? What is our purpose in life? And where are we going? Good questions. Why are we here? Who is this man that God made? made? How are you made up? What part of man is it that's to be converted? Is it the physical part of man or the spiritual part of man? Well, it's not the physical part of man, is it? Because someone comes forward to be baptized tonight, and he's baptized, he looks the same. After he's baptized, he looks like the same person he was before. So it's not the physical, is it? It is the thing in man that is called the heart. The heart, we might include the mind there, the heart and mind, but the heart of man, the spiritual part of man. Now, most would agree with this, but let's um, let's notice a passage from Jeremiah that mentions the heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, if you have a, a uh, Bible handy there. God taught uh, Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful, and it is, isn't it? Oftentimes, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul wrote that the Jews sin, the Gentiles sin, all sin. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So man needs to be converted, but how is he converted? According to the Bible, what is this heart that needs to be converted? Well, again, it's not that physical part of man, it's the spiritual. And the Bible is not a dictionary where we can just turn over here to a certain page and yes, that we can read about the heart on certain pages, but it's not used like a, a dictionary, is it? But we can learn what a thing is by learning what a thing does. Uh, I take a walk now and then, I started walking recently, trying to get in a little better condition, go back to Russia partly. Partly. But uh, there's a house over there that's probably a little over half finished. Now, if I see a man with a hammer and a saw and a level and a few other tools and go into that house, I can pretty well conclude that that man's a carpenter. I grew up on a farm. If I see a man on a tractor and with some other equipment, I can pretty well say that man's a farmer. So we can read in the Bible about the heart in different places and we can get a good idea about this heart. So let's notice some passages. We can determine what the heart is by learning what it does. And if we'll go back to the beginning of the Bible or in the early chapters, in Genesis chapter 6, we find that God saw man was in a very sinful condition. Genesis 6 and verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart. Notice that. The thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Thoughts. So this heart thinks. And we find in Mark chapter 2 that it reasons. Remember the one that was let down through the roof of the house because they couldn't get to Jesus? Let's just turn to that one in Mark chapter 2. All right. Uh. You know, the the scribes were, and of course the Pharisees and Sadducees and all of them were critical of Jesus when he was going about teaching and preaching. And um, so that's the context here. Let's see. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But uh, there were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts. So the heart reasons. They were reasoning. Why doth this man so speak uh, blasphemous? Who can forgive sins but God only? Well, Jesus was God, wasn't he? God in the flesh. But uh, in the next verse, and immediately Jesus knew what they were thinking. They were reasoning in their hearts, this heart. He knew what they were doing. So when he realized, when he knew what they were doing, he said, why reason ye these things in your hearts? That's verse 8. Last part of verse 8. So the heart reasons. The heart understands Matthew 13 and verse 15. There is in the context of the the parable of the sower. And you know how Jesus talks about the different kinds of soil. So when we come to verse 15, for this people's heart is wax gross. Heart can be hardened. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And now notice, and should understand with their heart. The heart understands. See, this is the man now that God has made. The heart understands. Now, what have we learned so far? Well, let me mention one more thing the heart believes. In Acts chapter 2 and verse, uh, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, we read about uh, the Ethiopian eunuch being taught by Philip. Remember, the eunuch was, uh, I need to hurry on here. I need my wife here tonight to get me going, you see, and keep make sure I'm on target. Uh, but the eunuch was studying from Isaiah chapter 53. He'd been to Jerusalem to worship under the old law, and... Uh, Philip went to him. God sent an angel to tell him, you, you go down toward Gaza and so on. And Philip asked him if he understood what he was reading. He said, no, how can I accept someone guide me? Well, Philip guided him. And sometimes we need that help today in our study. But we need to study. We can learn the truth of God and how to become a Christian and how to live the Christian life if we'll do it. Yeah, because we're seeing that tonight. But as they went along, uh, Philip preached Christ to him. But somewhere in there, he talked about being baptized because they came upon some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. What? If thou believest with what? Our heart. So the heart believes. So the heart is that part of us that thinks, reasons, understands, and believes. And this is that part of man that we call the intellect. You see, so the heart does all of these things. Again, thinks, reasons, understands, believes. But let's go on. What else does the Bible say about the heart? Let me get this up here where I can get on line here, get on time. With the heart we think and we intend, and you'll find that in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, that the, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and you come down to the bo- the latter part of that verse, and you'll find that the heart intends certain things. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7, a verse that we often use about our giving, you know, we're to have a right attitude about our giving and not, not be stingy and... and uh, not begrudge what we're giving and things like that, but we are to give from our hearts. Give from our hearts. We purpose. That's the word Paul uses. Purpose in our hearts. With the heart, man obeys. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17. Now That's a lot said about the heart, isn't it? In, In Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul talked about being baptized. Then when he gets down to verse 17, he says, But God, be thanked thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from your heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. When we obey the gospel, we need to be sincere about it. Obey from our hearts. And so the heart intends, purposes, and obeys. Now what do we call this part of the heart? We call this the will of man. Oh, that all men would will that that willpower. You see, we can learn things. We learn facts, and you know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and so on and on. But then, what about? Are we willing to do God's will? That's what we're talking about. That's this part of man. Well, what else does the Bible say about the heart? The heart can be pricked. You're familiar with that great verse in Acts two and verse thirty-seven on that great Pentecost day when the apostles preached the gospel in its fullness for the first time that is in the context of that Christ had gone back to the right hand of God, ascended back into heaven and they preached how that they, these Jews had had a part in the crucifixion of the Son of God and they were pricked in their heart that's the way men need to be pricked today and be moved to ask, what shall, I, what shall we do? So the heart can be pricked. The heart desires. In Romans chapter 10, we see into the heart of the apostle Paul in his concern for his Jewish brethren, the Jews turned their back upon the Lord. They would not evaluate the evidence like they should have. They wouldn't do it. Not many of them. And so Paul said here as he wrote the Roman letter, Brethren, my heart's desire. Oh, how Paul must have hurt. You know, in Russia, sometimes I'll say to my translator, i say, Ilya, just look up there at all those rooms in that building. Those people don't know God. They don't know the truth. They're misled. Many of them are atheists. Some of them are misled by the Russian Orthodox Church and some by the Jehovah's Witness and others. They're lost, undone. And we ought to hurt like that. We ought to want to help people. Well, Paul felt that way. His heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You know, in chapter 9, Paul said... And this verse always gets me. I hadn't planned to use this, but I will. In verse 3 of chapter 9, Paul said, I could wish myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul loved to preach the gospel. He was willing to face all kinds of persecution and problems. He loved the souls of men. The heart is the seed of love. Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, all of our heart. So this heart desires and loves and trusts. Proverbs 3 and verse 5. So we call this part of man the emotional part of man. This is that conscious part of man that works, the conscience works and Emotion. I ought to do this. I ought to do that. I ought to obey the gospel. I ought to be faithful. I ought to be present every Lord's day. I ought to be there for Bible study. You see, that's the emotional part of us—that we know what the truth is, and now we—we haven't obeyed God. Maybe. So we may divide man into this part of man into three areas: the intellect, the will, and the emotions. So this is the man that God has made. Man can choose to do right or wrong. Adam and Eve did. And we can. No wonder Jesus says, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Come, we can. We can learn the truth, have the willingness to do it and be moved to do it because of God's love. Well, what is the gospel? I'm going to have to summarize some things here. One thing about the gospel is that it can be preached. Jesus gave the great commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We need to believe that that needs to be done today. And again, Paul said, necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Gospel preachers need to feel that burden today or that urgency. Necessity is laid upon me. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And when we preach this gospel, it must not be changed. That's another thing about the gospel. It must not be changed. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said, I'm, I'm amazed. I marveled that your soul soon, apparently this had not been very long, that your soul soon uh, moved away to another uh, gospel, which is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. a terrible thing for people to pervert the gospel, but they do it. We ought to be careful with this book. This is God's book to us. Each one of us has got a soul in his hand that's worth more than all of this world. God gave you that soul, that spirit. What are you going to do with it? You're molding it every day of your life. Every day you're doing something for that spiritual part of you, that must answer one day to God. But Paul says, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Man will change things, pervert things, ought not to do it. The gospel is a, it's a serious matter when people do not obey the gospel. The gospel can be preached, it must not be changed, And it needs to be obeyed. And it's a serious thing when men do not obey it. Look at 2 Thessalonians, just a moment. First chapter. One day the Lord will come back with his angels in flaming fire, rending vengeance upon them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That will be one day. On that great judgment day, that will happen. So these are... Uh, some things about the gospel. There are three fundamental facts about the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Now, we can't obey facts, but we can believe the facts. We can believe about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. There are commands to be obeyed, and these commands challenge man's willpower. So I want you to notice In regard to this, let's evaluate man. We said man has the intellect, willpower, and then the emotions. The intellect. We can study and we can read the evidence that God gives us and we can believe with all of our hearts in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We can believe those facts. There's evidence for that. And then there are commands to be obeyed. Now here's where the willpower of man comes in. Here's the plan of salvation, you see. What I must do to be saved? Those people in Acts chapter 2. What must we do? And so today, man needs to be asking that question. We must do the same thing that those people did in Acts 2. Repent of our sins. Confess our faith in Christ, that he is the Son of God, and be buried with him in baptism for remission of our sins. Now that is the willpower responsibility of, my, of each one of us. Some say, I, I, I don't believe you have to be baptized. Well, study the Bible. Study the Bible with an open mind. Man can obey or he can refuse to obey. That's up to him. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, we read about some in during the personal ministry of our Lord, who believed, but they wouldn't obey the Lord, they wouldn't follow the Lord, they wouldn't do his will. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the glory. Or the praise of God you think there are people like that today they won't follow Jesus they won't obey him they won't obey his plan of salvation because they love the praise of men and sometimes there are brethren you see who become unfaithful basically the same idea they love to do what they want to do please man, please a wife, please a husband please someone else instead of pleasing God. Again, commands appeal to man's willpower. What will we do with the commands of the gospel? They are the great and exceeding precious promises of the gospel. Just think of the promise of forgiveness. Can you remember back before you obeyed the gospel, when you were lost in your sins? Doesn't that stir up our emotions a little bit? If you want forgiveness of your sins, obey the gospel of Christ like he says. The promise of God being with us as Christians. If we will obey the Lord in becoming a Christian, God will be with us till the end. Either till we die or until the judgment day. Matthew 28, verse 20. The promise of eternal life. Just think, there is an eternal life out there. We live a few years upon this earth, even if we're a hundred years old. But there's an eternity beyond. Take care of that spiritual part of your life. The gospel of Christ fits man. God created man, God gave the gospel. It fits.